Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. I remember the first time I ever laid eyes on this building. I was coming for an interview. I hadn't slept in almost 36 hours. Um, Not because I was nervous, although I was. But I had a, a job. I was not in the ministry at the time, and I had two jobs. I had one job I worked all night um, at a DHL hub over in Cincinnati at the airport, and then I would leave that about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I would go um, work at a golf course uh, for the morning, and I would do stuff on the golf course, which is few places are more peaceful than a golf course at 6 o'clock in the morning, but after that I got in my car I drove three hours over here to meet with the elders I I remember um, I was excited and I was nervous and I was anxious and I pulled in I drove to the back of the building which is what I'd been instructed to do and walk in the back part of the building I remember my first impressions of the building were not good I um, it was small it sat off the road, it was metal-sided, and no offense to whoever picked those colors, and I hope they're not in the room this morning, but it was just an atrocious color. I remember driving on a gravel parking lot, and had you asked me that day, I would have told you that I was coming to an average church for an average interview to look at the possibility of serving an average people. I would have told you that I expected to stay about five years. (laughs) It turns out I've been here 19. And I've learned a few things, quite a few things in that 19 years. I've learned that this place can be life-changing. Because it's changed my life. I've learned that this church is not average, but it is one of the most dynamic churches I have ever experienced. It's not the biggest church. It's not the richest church. Lord only knows we're not the prettiest church. Just look around. But this is a special church. I've learned what can happen when people who love God, are willing to set aside their agenda, whatever it is, and they're willing to reach for God's agenda, which is reaching a lost people for Him. Amazing things happen. What happens is that God shows up, and He brings His grace and His mercy in perfect portions, and He pours it out on sinful, broken people. Welcome to Groundbreaking Day. If you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been a couple of times now, and you're just kind of checking cross lane out, you, you couldn't have picked a better Sunday to be here. You really couldn't. In the life of every growing church, there are landmark days. This is a landmark day for our church. Over five years ago, probably, I, I don't even, I tried to put a number on this. I don't really know when I would tell you we started to take steps toward building a new facility i i can't remember when it all started it was over five years ago but we're we're finally here today and we're breaking ground on this building that we have prayed for and prayed for and worked for and met about and talked about a building that we have planned and worked on 
And if you're new to us, the really important thing to me that you understand is what this building is about and what this building is not about. It isn't about needlessly spending money. It isn't about building a monument to me or anybody else. I had somebody say to me as we got into the process of talking about this building, Brett, you just want to be the pastor of a big church. That is not true. I honestly could care less if anybody knows my name. I want people to know God's name. I want people to know who Jesus is. We're not out to have some big fancy church that everybody goes, oh wow, isn't that a really cool big fancy church? It's not about trying to keep up with another church in town. If you know anything about us, you know that's not how we operate here. That's not our mindset. That's not our value. We are not competing with another church in town. Our value here is we want every church building in this city full this morning. And if you're here today and you're a visitor, here's what you need to know about Cross Lane. We are about people coming to Jesus. That is what we're all about. When we put our head on our pillow at night, those of us who are in leadership, those of us who are bought in, those of us who come here every week, those of us who have sweat and given and prayed for and worked at this place, what we want is to bring people to Jesus. That's really all we want. And we don't really care whether it happens here or at a church down the road. Because here's what we know. Not everybody likes our style. That's okay. There needs to be this style because we can reach people other churches can't reach and other churches can reach people we can't reach. We're all working together. We're not competing with anybody. We want them all full. We, we just want people to come to Christ, period, whether it's here or at another church. So this building isn't us trying to flex our muscles somehow and get a bunch of attention. This building is about creating space. It's about making room to be real. That's what we called the campaign last year. We're out of room. We're, look around. We're out of room in here. <clears throat> We're out of room in our children's facilities. We don't build because it's the fun thing to do or because we're bored or anything like that. We build because we believe in bringing people to Jesus and we believe as a leadership that if we don't build, we will be hindered in our mission of bringing people to Jesus. For us, we believe not to build would be sinful. We believe not to build would be saying, would be saying to God, God, we don't care about bringing anybody else to Jesus. We're pretty much done. And I think at that point, God would say, well, then I'm pretty much done. And the hand of blessing that this church has known for quite a long time now would just be completely lifted. We do not want that to happen. This time last year, we were gearing up to raise money for this building. It was a daunting task. I was scared to death. I, I, I'd only dreamed. <laughs> I, I couldn't even dream about trying to raise. I'd never been asked to raise that kind of money before. I'd never been asked to raise any amount of, well, I had, but not anything like that. I mean, to me, $1.7 million, which is about where they fixed the price tag on that building, that's like monopoly money to me, okay? I just, I never even get that much in monopoly. <laughs> so in March of last year, we executed our Room to Be Real campaign, and we asked our Cross Lane family to let God speak to them about how God would call them to be involved over the next three years and what that commitment would look like for three years. When it was all said and done, Cross Lane folks had committed almost $1.1 million 
over the next three years. I want to say one last thing to our visitors before I move on to some other people. Here's what we believe at Cross Lane. We believe that God calls us to something bigger than us. We believe that there's no way in and of ourselves, by ourselves, we could raise the money or build a $1.7 million building. Only by the grace of God and only with His help can something like that get done. We believe with our whole heart that this is the building that God has called us to build. One of the values at Cross Lane is that is something I say from the stage quite a bit. God always gives you the what before He gives you the how. He always gives you the what before He gives you the how. God said, Here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to come about. That's not important. See, what God wants to know, first and foremost, is are you ready to write a blank check with your faith that says yes to God before God ever really gives you all the details? We believe as a church that he calls us to things like that all the time. He wants us to say yes to what before we know how. The Room to Be Real project is a perfect example of that value being lived out among these people. So those of you visiting today, welcome. We're really glad you're here. This is a great day for you to be here. Now I want to talk to uh, uh, some people that have maybe come in the last year or maybe even two years. You were here when we started Room to Be Real, but you weren't sure you wanted to participate in that project. You liked it here? but you weren't sure you were going to stay or you weren't far enough along in your walk with Christ yet to be willing to trust him to guide you through a process where you would be willing to make a three-year commitment. That's one type of person that's new to Cross Lane. The other is the person who has come to us after we finished all the fundraising. We finished up the last Sunday in March and we've had a lot of people come to us as you'll hear in just a minute. Had a lot of people come to us since then. I, I want to do something here. And, and you need to know that today's message is not uh, a fundraising pitch, okay? It's really not. If you know my heart, you know that. I'm going to try and explain this the best way I know how. I have in my hands the materials that we use to help our congregation make an informed commitment to the Room to Be Real campaign. And if you were not here, or if you've come since then, or maybe you were here and you thought, I'm not ready to do that yet, but now you are. We've got these things on our Welcome Center. I want to tell you what these are. This is a booklet that will help you to pray and seek God's face on whether or not you should get on board with that campaign and how you should get on board and what kind of things, creative ways you might be able to participate. If you should read that and pray and decide, yeah, God, I think you're calling me to do that, then in this thing here there is a commitment card we could still use your help now that's really about as far as I'm going to go with talking to you about money for the building I want to explain to you why it's important it's not because if we don't get additional help we're not going to be able to build the building that building's going up I mean God's going to take care of that we're we're assured of that I, I mean I just couldn't I can't tell you how sure we are that God is in this so that's not really the point the point is this Here's what I know. Sometime in mid to late August, 
we're going to show up on a Sunday morning to have a worship service, two worship services, and we're going to do that for the first time in that new building. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be 400 seats, very spacious. It's going to be new. We're going to have state-of-the-art lights, state-of-the-art video, state-of-the-art sound equipment. A great number of, number of people are going to sit in that room on that Sunday in August, whenever it is, for the first time. And the band's going to strike up, and the worship's going to start, and there will be a palpable sense of satisfaction and fulfillment that God has in some way invited each of us to participate in something bigger than ourselves. And we will be overwhelmed by God's presence that day. In your heart, you will be overwhelmed. And you will be thankful that God gave you the opportunity to participate in something that most people would see as meaningless, just like a building. And it is. It's just a building. Until you think about what we're going to use it for. And you think about the fact that people are going to walk down the aisles to that building and give their lives and their hearts to Christ. And then you think, I had something to do with that. It'll be overwhelming. There will be people that sing and worship and take communion. They're going to be taught. They're going to see people give their lives to Christ in that new space. And the fulfillment and satisfaction that we feel on that day, I think, is just going to be through the roof. I want as many people as possible to experience that. I want you to have ownership in that. I want you to, I want you to experience the spiritual blessing that comes when you take the most precious thing to you, which is your pocketbook, and you say, God, I'm going to open this to you, and I'm going to listen for your voice. And if you truly do that, and God comes back and he says, we're good, you don't need to worry about the new building, then you put your pocketbook away and you're done. But if when you pray that prayer over your open pocketbook and you say, God, what is my part in this? And he says, here's your part. I want to encourage you to be obedient to that. This isn't, again, this isn't about trying to get the building paid for. That's not the point. It's about giving you the wonderful gift and the opportunity to say, I'm a part of something bigger than me. God's using me. And now I would like to talk to the hardcore, <laughs> bought in, praying, serving, sacrificing, loving, committed, cross lane family. You stinking rock. You do. I just want to recap for you. I asked Tracy, I said, Trace, give me, the, give me some numbers for the, just the last five years. Let's just consider what's happened at Cross Lane in just the last five years. So here's what he gave me. Cross Lane has baptized 80 people in the last five years. Attendance has grown from somewhere around the th early 300s to about 360 plus people on a Sunday, on an average. We've taken adult mission trips to Arizona, to West Virginia, to Haiti, to Chicago, and to Honduras. We've taken student mission trips every year to either St. Louis or Cincinnati, and I wish you could see what those kids do. They go 
into the inner city and they do ministry and they work and they give their lives and they sacrifice. They do it every year. Ryan takes them over. It's, it's wonderful. In the last five years, we've prepared 75,000 meals for Haitians after the earthquake in Haiti. <clears throat> Think, let that soak in. Okay, 75,000 from this church. We have grown our Kids Hope program to 50 mentors. So you think about 50 people out of this church go into Terrytown Elementary School once a week, every week, for one hour, and they spend time with a child who desperately needs their attention. We've started an all-pro dad chapter at Terrytown Elementary that averages 125 dads and kids at each event, which is a monthly thing. We started a Good News Bible Club at Terrytown Elementary. We've collected over 3,500 pairs of shoes for Souls for Souls. That's a lot of shoes, people. We've given over $335,000 to local outreach organizations and missions in the last five years. We've worked with local organizations and helped out in the community through our community care days, and we've also given money and helped our community through our car show that happens every year. We take that money that we make on that and we give it away to the community. We don't want to keep that money. We've added two additional staff members. And is Cheryl in the room this morning? Cheryl, are you in the room? Cheryl Cuthbertson, are you in the room? Yes, she is. Stand up. Yeah, stand up. I'm allowed to do this to her. She works for me. Today is Cheryl's five-year anniversary that she joined our staff. Through the Room to Be Real campaign, Cross Lane committed over the next three years $1,081,603. That's for the next three years. We have received to date $205,773. These things happen for two reasons. First and foremost, God has blessed this church. We know that none of this happens unless God blesses this church. It is his blessing and gifting that make any of this possible. The second thing is it happens when people are willing to set aside their agenda for something bigger. You understand that this is not about you. You understand that every day there are people who are driving up and down Lafayette Avenue many of whom have not even figured out yet that sitting off the road is a church building. They haven't even figured out what we are. They go by us without a thought. But here's what's going on in their world. They're listening to the radio, hearing songs about losing their dog or losing their wife, maybe both. <laughs> their world's in a shambles. They have desperate needs, and they don't even know what all of them are. One of those needs, the biggest need, is Jesus, and they don't even know it. And they don't even know that five months from now or maybe five years from now, they're going to walk into the four walls of the Crosslink Community Church, which is just a building until we come in. And we've been praying for them and we've been hoping for them and doing all we can to, to be ready for them when they come. And when they come in, their lives get changed and all that stuff that we just read off that list 
that stuff starts happening. It doesn't happen because the music's good or because the preaching's good or even because we have a certain kind of building. It's just a building. It happens because deep in the hearts of people there is a need for Jesus and they just don't know where to go to truly have that need met. At Cross Lane, you make it possible for someone who feels very far from God, who feels like they don't belong, who feels like they don't know the language, who feels like they aren't good enough to go to church, and they walk in here and you love them and you accept them and they hear the music that they can identify with, and they hear a person on stage tell them about Jesus who admits right up front he's as broken and messed up as they are. And they finally see God is inviting me into a personal relationship with him. And you help them to get past dead, cold, manipulative religion. And you show them what a relationship with Jesus looks like. You stinking rock as a church. I love you. I love your spirit. I love your commitment. I, I just love this church. I do. I want to show you something. This is, um, this is the result of something that happened over the summer. Last summer, we put together a team of people, male, female, young and old, different styles, different connections to Cross Lane, different times spent here. You know, some have been here just a few months. Others had been here for years. We brought in a consultant called Fishhook who they help churches to connect better to their community. They're kind of like a, if you want, for lack of a better name, they're a church marketing company, but they're much more than that, and they're really good people, and we, we developed a really solid relationship with them over the last couple of years. They came together with their people, with the group that we had assembled, and they started to ask us questions. They asked us questions like, what color is Cross Lane? What does Cross Lane smell like? Which could be a dangerous question to ask, especially after the Super Bowl party or something like that. Where does Cross Lane buy its clothes? Where does Cross Lane go to get food? And, and what what's kind of restaurant would Cross Lane eat at? They handed us crayons, and they invited us to draw certain things. Strange things, weird stuff. And they just listened. And they took all the data and all the comments that were made and all the things that they heard. They were listening for catchphrases and certain words that they heard over and over again. And they went and they said, we're going to go away for about a month. We're going to work on this. We're going to develop some uh, branding, some logos for you. We're going to come back and we're going to show you those. And if you see something you like, great. If you don't, we'll keep working. They came back a month later and I assembled the staff to go sit through the, the debriefing. And Evan McBroom, who owns Fishhook, was there. And he had four placards with four different logos on it. And he started to go through those one at a time and explain kind of what was about the logo and why they chose the colors and all that kind of stuff and, and why this was arranged this way. And he was showing us the intricacies. And, and in a logo, lots of times there's hidden stuff. And he was showing us all that. 
And for each one, he's shown us the pictures. And in each one, I could say, yeah, that's, that's neat. I like that. That's kind of cool. Uh, there was one I didn't like at all. And, and the, the other staff is weighing in on this. Different ones had different things to say. And then he comes to the fourth one. And when he dropped the third one to reveal the fourth one, I saw this. And the minute I saw this, I saw Cross Lane. About five seconds after I instantly connected with that logo, my mind went to a woman in Scripture that I want to tell you about this morning. I've not really heard very many sermons about her. Um, The older I get, the more I come to love this woman. Don't even know her name. The story is in Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bible and want to follow along, you can. It's not necessary that you do that this morning. We're going to put it on the wall for you. But this is the story of the woman who wept at the feet of Jesus. There are actually two women who spent time at the feet of Jesus like this, both in the house of a man named Simon. But there's two distinctly different stories. And Matthew, Mark, and John is the story of Mary that we talked about last week, the sister of Lazarus, who spends time in a worship setting like this, worshiping Jesus in a very intimate, special way. And um, she brings about an indignation with some of the people who watch her um, and some of her actions. But this woman is different. This is the woman from Luke. And she's different. I love her. I love this story. This, This is probably very, very high up there with one of my favorite stories in the whole Scriptures. Because in her, I see myself. I mean, I easily see myself. I see you. I see Cross Lane. Jesus has been invited to have dinner with a Pharisee. And if you don't know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee is someone who's an expert in the law. They're an expert in manipulating the law, and they're an expert in making sure that insiders remain insiders and outsiders remain outsiders. They were experts at using religion to control people, which is what people who use religion do. Religion gets used to control people. And Jesus has gained some notoriety. He's the hot new thing. He's the speaker everybody wants to hear. He's known as this passionate, powerful speaker, and everywhere he goes, he's drawn crowds. And it's kind of the cool, hip thing to spend time with Jesus, even if you don't disagree, even if you don't agree with him. And so this Pharisee has kind of deemed it an honor if he could get Jesus to come to his house. So he invites Jesus. And Jesus has gone to the Pharisee's house, which is something I love about Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, stuck-up, snob that hates his guts. If you invite him to come to your house, he would. And if you don't have anything, and you're as humble as can be, and you're afraid to look him in the eye, and you invited him to come to your house, he would come. When Jesus gets to the man's house, whose name is Simon, something is missing. You see, in in every house when you would enter, especially for something like this, when you came into the house, there were three things that would, would almost instantaneously happen. You would be greeted with a kiss. You would have your feet washed, and then you would be presented with some, a small thing of scented oil, uh, olive oil, that you would 
put on your hair just a little bit just to scent the room just to just to take the scent of the city and just to freshen things up a little bit this is like first century Febreze <laughs> these were not offered to Jesus Jesus reclines at a small table with the other men that would have been there and some of his disciples if not all of them and I've told you this before, but the way you would be at a table in the first century in the time of Christ, Jesus would have basically been propped up on his left elbow with maybe a pillow between his elbow and his body to kind of give some support and comfort. And his right arm would be free so that he could scoop, like we eat popcorn when we're on the floor or something, he could scoop his bread into the bowl and and feed himself and so all the men around the table would have been situated that way head at the table feet going away from the table and there would be lanes in between each of these so that the servants could get to the table and make sure that the the people who were at this dinner party were being taken care of and had the food that they wanted and then we read verse 37 and i don't think it's too much for me to say at this point in my life this is becoming my favorite passage in the whole Bible when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town now don't know what sinful life means you can fill in the blank in fact there's no difference between her and me (laughs) there's no difference between her and you In fact, when you hear the word sinful, I want you to fill in the word broken. In fact, when you hear the word woman, I want you to put your name in there. And when you see where it says sinful, I want you to put your sin in there. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. I love this verse. Somehow this woman has heard about Jesus. More than likely, Jesus has been teaching somewhere in town and she's been able to get close enough to hear what he had to say. And She's found out he's going to be at what we would call probably a dinner party. This was a place where influential people were going to be, maybe not necessarily the disciples um, and Jesus being rich and influential, but some of these people that Simon associated with certainly would be a little better to do than most. And here's this woman who has a reputation. She's a sinner in town. The way that says that, it just kind of speaks of her notoriety. She's known by people in town. Now imagine you're her, and you hear that Jesus is at the house of this wealthy, educated person, and your lifestyle would suggest, not only are you not invited, you should probably not go close to that. And once you get there, she gathers herself up, and she heads to this guy's house. And once she gets there, then what? You're just going to walk in? You're going to walk into this place that you've not been invited to? But that's exactly what she does. And if you spend some time thinking about the emotional state of this woman, you can imagine that her self-esteem is in tatters. 
She is expecting to be insulted and called all kinds of names. More than likely, she's expecting to be dragged out of there. In her life, she has been shunned. She's been spat upon. She's been pointed at by the other mothers with their daughters and said, now this is the example of what a lady is not. Her spirit is likely broken and bleeding. She is no doubt wounded. How many people did I just describe in the room this morning? And if not today, has there ever been a day when you walked in here just beaten, defeated? Life has just beat you up and told you you were worthless. You've been disappointed and disenchanted and disenfranchised. For more than a few of you, the answer is yes, that's me. We aren't told this woman's name, but the truth is we can put our own name in there. And the Bible says she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Verse 38, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. These two verses have so much meaning. Let's start with the jar of perfume, which is extremely expensive, both the contents and the container. This is probably, if not the most expensive and most valuable thing this woman owns, it's probably very high on the list. Women commonly wore these vials, these alabaster jars, around their neck on a cord. It was one of the most precious things they had. Very expensive. And the picture that Luke paints is so intimate and so moving. She stands behind Jesus. Probably every eye in the room is on her. She's standing. Everybody else is on the ground, pretty much. And she's standing at the feet of Jesus. And what happens when sinfulness gets contrasted to the perfect holiness of Jesus, which is what happens with us when we think about it for very long. That's why you cry during communion. She's standing at the feet of Jesus and she realizes how holy he is and she begins to weep. And her tears are falling off her face and they're hitting the dusty, sandals-removed feet of Jesus. And with each drop, it just becomes a muddy mess. She kneels down, and as she does so, she takes out whatever is holding up her hair, and her hair falls down. You have to understand how shameful it is for her to do that in public. Women didn't let their hair down in public. She doesn't care. She is so overwhelmed, and she is so moved as she kneels, her hair falls down, her tears are falling on Jesus' feet, and she takes her own hair and begins to wipe and wash the feet of Jesus. Then she takes that jar, and whether she broke it open or pulled open, 
I'm not sure how that happened. A lot of the books I read says that they, they broke these long neck vials and it would break and instantly the room would fill with this fragrance. Perfume, not an oil. This would have been a very valuable thing. It would, it would evaporate almost as soon as it hit the skin. And she pours it out. The most valuable, precious thing she's probably got. And she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. Remember I told you when Jesus walked into the room, there were three things that did not happen. He was not greeted with a kiss. He did not have his feet washed. And he was not given oil for his head. By contrast, this woman offers those three things to Jesus. And I think she probably never left his feet. I wonder if she even made eye contact with Jesus. The most valuable, precious things to her would have been her hair and her perfume. And she deemed that the place those things belonged were at the feet of Jesus. The level of devotion and humility and repentance and faith that this woman shows in this act to me is staggering. Jesus' host isn't pleased, and he says something to himself. He's thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus knows what he's thinking, and he says, Simon, can I say something to you? Simon says, sure. And Jesus tells a story about two people who owed money to a certain man. They owed different amounts. One owed not nearly as much as the other. And when Jesus tells the story, he says that the person who was owed the money forgave the debt. And then he said, which of the two is going to love the one who forgave the debt more? And Simon reckons correctly the one who was forgiven the most. And Jesus said, that's right. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Which can I just tell you, that's what you need and that's what I need. We need to be forgiven. He goes on, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus looks back at the woman. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus does not get caught up in that conversation. His attention goes right back to the woman. And he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now you're familiar with that word peace. You probably could even say that word in Hebrew. The word is shalom. And it has all kinds of different meanings, goodness and completeness and a lot of things. But one of the meanings of this word, and I want to focus in on this word today because it directly folds into our, our, um, our logo. I want to show you that logo again. The word shalom carries with it the idea of wholeness. He looks at this woman and he says, go 
be whole. You weren't whole when you came in here. You were a sinful, broken woman. That's what you are, but you've met me. And I've forgiven you. And when you get forgiven by Jesus, you're whole. The logo, I think, perfectly defines the Cross Lane Community Church for a couple of reasons, a lot of reasons. One, it's in lowercase. That top part's in lowercase. It's all broken up. That's us. That, that shows the humility that we want to be about. All that broken shatteredness really describes and defines the kind of people who go to this church. When I talk to visitors about this place, and they say, Brett, tell me about your church. First of all, it's not my church. And then I'll say, the people, you need to know that the people that are in that building right now, they're all broken. They're all screwed up. They're all messed up. There's not a one of us that go into that building that have our act together. We are a mess. I think that logo captures that beautifully. I used to wonder, how could you ever uh, summarize our four-word mission statement, bringing people to Jesus? How can you summarize that with those two words? Bringing people who are broken to Jesus, who makes them whole. If you're ever trying to figure out how to explain what you do as a Christian, think about the logo. (laughs) Broken, whole. Bringing people to Jesus who are broken. Bringing people who are broken to Jesus who makes them whole. I want you to hear something the band's going to sing for us.
you want to see what happens when broken, sinful people who have no reason to be proud of anything on their own come and kneel at the feet of Jesus and weep because of their sin and wash the feet of Jesus in their spirit and their mind and take what's valuable to them and break it before God and say God it's yours then you stick around that's what kind of church we want to be we don't care if anybody really knows that name We care that they know the name Jesus. That's the name that matters. That's what this church is about. That's what that building is about. That's what we'll be about as long as we can draw breath. Let's pray together. God, we are madly, deeply in love with you. there are days that our life shows you anything but that. There are days that we have to disappoint you, have to let you down just by the way we respond to your call on our life. Father, we with Paul would say the things that I want to do, I can't seem to do, and the things that I don't want to do, these are the things that I find myself doing. Our hearts are full for you. We love you. We're just overwhelmed by your grace and mercy. Overwhelmed. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. 2012, (laughs) it's on. It is on. I can't guarantee you're not going to step over stuff, peeking around, Biz Queen hanging from the ceiling, sawdust all over the place. There's going to be no place to park. It's going to be just crazy. Don't you love it? Love you.